Cambolini. Your radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM, WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding. License, Regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Well, good uh, evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And mercifully, we're in the final stretch of the presidential election. Democrats had their convention last week. I thought it's interesting to note that uh, five million more viewers watched Obama than Romney. Uh, The numbers I read in the Wall Street Journal were 35 million versus 30 million. I thought the Democratic convention was much more, much more coherent. And uh, I just don't understand some of the post-Obama criticism about his speech. Look, the speech, you know, first he was criticized for being a rock star and mm. flowery rhetoric and over-the-top rhetoric and that kind of thing. And then he kind of gave a... State of the Union kind of speech, a kind of a sober speech. Uh, People were criticizing him for not having a bigger bigger agenda and all this other stuff. And I'm like, look, he's just kind of laying out the facts. He's not, you know, he's leveling with the American people. He's basically doing a, you know, he allowed Clinton to do the sort of rebuttal point by point, which I thought was very effective. Clinton has that magic touch with... uh, communication that Obama doesn't quite have. Obama's a better orator in terms of pure performance, but uh, Clinton has has got a warmth and a kind of a folksy thing. And obviously Obama's still got a problem with Bubba, so to speak. The Bubba vote is going to go to Romney, uh, bizarrely, because uh, he doesn't have any economic ideas that are going to help Bubba. But... uh, the, the 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 themes of the Democratic convention were uh, uh, far better, and of course they have a far more difficult uh, job keeping this disparate coalition of uh, you know interest groups, so to speak, within the the uh, the, the the Democratic coalition that FDR formed back in the 1930s. That's uh, largely frayed. Well, as Will Rogers famously said, I don't belong to an organized party. I'm a Democrat. Uh, But I think actually the opposite can be said 
the same thing can be said about the Republicans. Uh, mm-hmm. That is that they're going to have a hard time keeping their fragile little uh, collection of uh, multiple interests together as well. And I thought just from a sheer uh, spectator standpoint, having watched much of both conventions, uh, that the energy level, the focus, the uh, kinds of speakers, uh, that the energy level was very high at the Democratic convention. Yeah. Uh, high-spirited, uh, a lot of silence and sort of uh, doldrum moments in the Republican convention where a speaker is prattling on and on and they you know, cut to the shots of the crowd and it's all people on their handheld devices and chatting. And I think there's a lot of disinterest uh, within the Republican Party uh, still for Mitt Romney. And it's strange, too, because you've already seen some problems with the Republican coalition, so to speak, uh, in, in, the re- in the last couple of weeks. Over the weekend, Romney appeared on Meet the Press and started talking about aspects of so-called Obamacare that he wants to keep. Well, of course, he wants to keep the things that are popular and expensive. Mm. Doesn't mention the fact that He'd already promised that that would be the first thing he would do when he got into office. So the flip-flopping continues. Romney's sister announces to the world during the Republican convention that uh, Mitt's not going to make abortion illegal. (laughs) Well, the delegates in the base of the Republican Party is shocked by that. And I think that it's interesting that the polling data, to the extent that it's accurate... Uh, reflected the fact that uh, while Romney got a little bit of a bounce from announcing Paul Ryan as his man, um, no bounce from the convention. Right. Gallup was saying it was the lowest bounce of all time. The Democrats, on the other hand, got a little bit of a bounce. And I've maintained that Obama's got a slight lead. And I think he's increased that a little bit uh, over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it's interesting, of course, polls, lots of room for uh, debate and error and so forth in what is largely a speculative uh, industry. Uh, But lots of the polls, major polls, CNN, you know, uh, major newspapers, Wall Street Journal, are showing, you know, Romney and Obama within a handful of points of each other, uh, up or down here or there. But when it breaks down into these sort of subcategories, like uh, voting, likely voters among uh, Latinos and Hispanics, uh, strongly uh, tending towards Obama. Women, more than two to one. More than two to one. Uh, younger voters tending towards Obama. Women voters tending towards Obama. Uh, what's really interesting, uh, partly because of my own personal background, is uh, the Catholic vote. Uh, because between Paul Ryan and Joe Biden, you've got the two sort of separate wings of the American Catholic Church. There's the sort of social justice, uh, you know, peace, uh, solidarity type advocate uh, uh, Catholics. Uh, And then there's the sort of punishment conservative Catholics uh, who are in with Tom Monaghan's sort of uh, right wing Catholicism, uh, who are more interested in an anti-gay message than in uh, peace, love, and understanding, so to speak. Uh, so the Catholic vote is going to be very interesting this time around. Uh, this time around, big article in the Free Press about the uh, prevalence of nuns this campaign season. Of course, strangely, the same pastor gave a, a prayer at the Republican convention and the Democratic convention. Yes, the same yes. guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly different language with regard to feti in those two prayers, but. Uh, Nuns were both uh, spotted 
and even as speakers uh, at the Democratic convention. And, of course, nuns still were in the old-fashioned garbs uh, that's popular with the right-wingers and uh, regular-dressing nuns uh, who were recently chastised uh, by the Vatican uh, for their uh, leadership conference of women's religious uh, nuns who work in the cities, work in the streets, work in the schools, see what conditions uh, poor folks uh, are struggling against, speak out uh, uh, for what they see as social justice, and are told by the Vatican to uh, not uh, pay so much attention to that and to do more to promote Catholic doctrine against abortion rights and gay marriage. So uh, what kind of Catholic you are uh, will determine where you vote. And that's uh, a strange split. The American Catholic Church is really becoming two separate churches. Yeah, and it's interesting that I heard over the weekend there's apparently going, and this isn't a British story, but it's uh, apparently there's going to be some com combinations of Anglican uh, church services with Catholic services in some parishes. I thought the other interesting thing about the conventions was how uh, the delegates themselves, you know, with the Democrats, it reflected America. They looked like America. The Republican convention looks quite different. And I, that's obviously problematic. It's interesting. Well, it's the country club versus uh, the working class. It's interesting that I heard that in uh, oh. 1992, I think it was, the uh, minority vote was about 12% of the electorate. Uh, in the last election, it was 26%. And now it's supposed to go up to... 28 percent. Mm -hmm. So when you see a poll that says that Mitt Romney is uh, rates as zero, an absolute zero in the African-American community. Uh, one one pundit put it earlier this year quite well. Romney is the whitest candidate that's ever run. Um, and the message that the Republicans are are foisting onto the public, I think, is somewhat almost obsolete as well it's interesting to note over the past weekend you know we got another jobs report right there are going to be uh, two more jobs reports uh coming out uh before the election uh and I, they're not going to be spectacular because yes the economy is sort of muddling along a little bit but it's interesting when you look at the actual numbers they were talking a little bit about people that have left the workforce over the weekend you know because the percentage went down by two-tenths of a percent. And, of course, the negativity about the 96,000 jobs was, was uh, ubiquitous almost. But what was striking to me was when you read the Wall Street Journals and their graphs that show uh, what's going on with the jobs picture, and I think this was one of Obama's failures in his speech. I didn't think he emphasized what the stimulus actually did. There's still stimulus money, money, you know, percolating into the economy, but most of it was spent uh, in 2009 and uh, 2010. And when you look at the breakdown of, of some major components of the economy where there actually is job growth, where there's added jobs, and of course, there's been 700,000 state and local government jobs cut uh, in the past year. That's where the jobs are not being created. Yeah, there was a little t tick down in manufacturing, but these percentages are very interesting uh, since the uh, since Obama quote took over, and we're having this silly uh, 
uh, sort of nostalgia for Ronald Reagan and are you better off than you were four years ago? I think that question is a disaster for the uh, Republican Party because uh, in one week we're going to uh, experience the uh, fourth anniversary of the financial meltdown. Um, the stock market, by the way, just for the record, for rich people that are so alarmed about uh, Obama and class warfare, uh, is the highest it's been in five years. This was over the past week. So Romney's kind of addressing... That's generally a sign. A sign. And, of course, the stock market is just one measurement, but sure. there are many people that, middle-class people, that benefit from uh, increased uh, stock market prices mm -hmm. because of retirement plans, uh, pension plans, etc., well, get a load of the jobs uh, picture that the Wall Street Journal graph has over the weekend. Professional and business services up 9.2%. Education and health up 6.1%. Leisure and hospitality up 4.4%. Manufacturing up 2.1%. Retail uh, up 1.5%. What's the thing dragging everything down? Construction jobs. They're down 8.2%. But every person in America knows that we overbuilt housing in the, in, the, in the noughties under the Bush administration, that there was too much debt incurred in the production of housing that wasn't needed. And that's why the, you know, that's why the construction field is still weighing down. But there's probably will stay low for the foreseeable future. For quite some time, because we have a glut of inventory. Right. Um, but it, what's interesting is there are even signs of the housing market about to um, go up. For instance, just a week ago, uh, on August 24th, sales of new homes climb sharply. And what they show is that new home sales have kind of gone up for a year and a half now. Uh, and that the um, supply of previously owned homes is, is, is declining a bit. And those trends in the graph indicate that uh, housing will make a recovery uh, probably slowly, very slowly in my opinion, um, and that's the way it should be. And um, unfortunately for me, at the end of the day, the real issues of what's wrong with our economy were addressed by neither party. I think that income inequality and low pay is at the heart of the real problem. We have an income distribution uh, problem in America at this point. CEOs are collecting too much, and rank-and-file workers are not getting paid enough. There's been increased productivity during the Obama years. So all of this sort of Pollyanna, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling, is sort of phony. Uh, we're doing much better than Europe, for instance. Uh, in terms of economic growth. And I think that it's, it's, it's uh, very instructive to compare how Germany dealt with the um, economic global downturn versus how America did. In Germany, business, labor, and government sort of came up with a consensus agreement that the goal was to keep people employed but work less hours, spread out the, the, the downturn a little more evenly across the board, keep people employed, keep them in their jobs. And that's why the German economy, it doesn't have spectacular growth, but you don't hear the Germans panicking about 1.2%. This country is overly focused on growth. And, well, and everybody in Germany gets a, a two-week paid vacation in August. Yeah, if, Everyone. Not, if not longer. If not longer. Um, and, of course, the, they have universal health care. Yep. 
th- there is a fine social, highways. You know, Mitt Romney thinks that that our uh, quote safety net here is just fine. That's what he said recently. Um, there's a problem too with the fact that you know we're, we're in the 21st century uh, and labor globally isn't scarce. That's a big problem, particularly low-skilled labor. And many of the people that are unemployed in America, quite frankly, because I mentioned this, because the media was focusing on all the people that have left the workforce. Well, did they retire? <laughs> did they go back to right. school? We don't have any analysis of who left the workforce and why. The baby boomers are retiring at unbelievable numbers every month right now. We're in the beginning of the baby boom retirement era that's going to continue for quite some time. And for the life of me, with the Republican Party focusing on Medicare with very, very sketchy details about what they would do and would not do, Obama has kept his defense of Medicare simple. I'm not going to voucherize it. We don't know what the Republican plan on Medicare is. So it's fascinating when you see polls in Wisconsin, Ohio, and Florida showing that the public is very alarmed at the Republican position on Medicare and that Obama is, has gained in those states. Over this past week, it's been reported that, that Romney is, and conservative PACs are taking their money out of Michigan and Wisconsin. They're writing those states off. They're going to focus on the eight states. And we can't continue to have national elections in which there's only eight states involved in the, mm. in the process. When, when our presidential elections are being determined by a couple of million people in eight states who are undecided, that, that, that to me is a frightening development. And the continuing problem in America is the lack of engagement by the public in the process that there will be probably about 90 million people that are not going to vote. That's scary. Well, and of course, the uh, cynicism of the public is uh, heightened by the uh, devastating uh, so-called Americans United. Uh, Citizens United, Citizens, yeah. Mm-hmm. Citizens United uh, case at the Supreme Court. Uh, Ron Zwankowski's, uh recent column in the uh, 9th of September in the Detroit, Detroit Free Press notes that... Uh, According to Michigan Campaign Finance Network, 70% of the $10.9 million already spent in Michigan this year for advertising to help uh, Romney uh, was essentially untraceable money. Uh, people know this, whether or not people are sort of tune those messages out, those paid for by some shaky group you never heard of before. Right. Uh, things at the end. Uh, or, or the disclaimer that's got you know such a big paragraph and is on the screen for such a brief time nobody could read it. Right. Uh, so, you know, some people are just tuning this out. Uh, it's all bought and sold. And uh, this is devastating for the democratic process. And, of course, the negativity of the ads, and they've done some analysis that show that the Romney ads have been far more negative uh, than Obama's, um, you know, deflate uh, voter interest and turnout. People want to turn off the TV and disengage. That's bad. Um and I, you know, I still don't know what can be done about this uh, Citizens United case um, because it's, you know, it's it's just troubling that it that it ever even came up. Uh, it's fascinating to me over the this past weekend. I was working on some old newspaper clippings from the November December two thousand and seven uh, 
part of our history when Barack Obama and Mitt Romney were both still candidates. Fascinating. Romney was uh, was being attacked on... Uh, there, there was an embarrassing story that he had hired um, uh, illegal uh, immigrants to do work. Mini scandal, but it's gotten some uh, cabinet uh, nominees uh, derailed in the past. Sure. Um, and what was Romney doing in response to the fact that Mike Huckabee was going up in the polls? He was spending lots of money on negative ads attacking Mike Huckabee. This is how Romney operates. He's sort of a... Uh, you know, a marketing, um, advertising kind of guy. He's a business guy. We don't need a business guy to run America. We we had two of them, Herbert Hoover and George W. Bush. The results weren't good. Um, as for Mitt Romney, you know, he's already beginning to vacillate. What does he do last week? He takes the week off and works on the debates. He's right. up. He's up in a, his uh, undisclosed location in New Hampshire. I'm glad I don't have to really debate the guy who I'm practicing with. That's an encouraging comment. Right, and they, they drag out <laughs> Rob Portman to play Obama. What? Meanwhile, who's uh, minding the fort? Eddie Munster. He's out there giving speeches that are, you know, incoherent, uh, off base. And we live in, in, in a very strange country. A couple of weeks ago, we had, of course, Todd Aiken uh, make some amazing statements. Uh, he's still in the race in Missouri, Indeed. By, by the way. <laughs> he's, still, he's still the man that's going to be on the ballot. But I love this uh, article from Lubbock, Texas, about a county judge named Judge Tom Head. Or should I say, Tom, I don't have a head. Uh, he, the, the Lubbock, Texas area had a, uh, a discussion in their county courthouse, uh, the county commissioners, in which they were um, discussing whether or not to raise taxes, property taxes, to finance the hiring of additional sheriffs and deputies. And uh, Judge Head came out, and this is what he said. He said that if Obama gets reelected, he's going to try and hand over the sovereignty of the United States to the U.N., Mr. Head said on Fox 34, the local Texas station last week, quote, okay, what's going to happen when that happens? I'm thinking worst case scenario, civil unrest, civil disobedience, civil war, maybe. And we're not talking just a few riots and demonstrations. We're talking Lexington Concord. Take up arms and get rid of the guy. And if the president um, did send in U.N. troops, Mr. Head continued, quote, I don't want them in Lubbock, Texas. OK, so I'm going to stand in front of armored personnel carriers and say, you're not coming in here. And the sheriff, I've already asked him. And I said, you going to back me? And he said, yeah, I'll back you. Well, I don't want a bunch of rookies back there, Mr. Head said. So here we have an elected official who is Sounds actually... Sounds like he's deeply concerned about the purity of our bodily fluids. <laughs> he's, he's Jack the Ripper all over again. He's like... This classic John Birch Society, you know, early 60s Yahoo. So we'll give him a brain damage award. Uh, he's 74 years old. He's probably in need of those uh, Part D uh, Medicare drugs. Medications. <laughs> Where's my medication? Maybe he was uh, a part of the donut hall for uh, too many years there. Well, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, paranoid ramblings. But on the other hand, uh, conspiratorial threat mongering. Well, and the, the idea that 
oh, Obama's going to call in, turn over the sovereignty of America to the UN, and that the UN troops are, are coming to Lubbock. Dude, we don't have enough UN peacekeeper troops to deal with all this global unrest that's going on right now. Uh, this man is in need of a vacation. A long one. And, of course, there's a... Uh, there's someone who could leave the workforce. <laughs> yeah, there's a picture of him shaking hands with a Rick Perry back in May of uh, this year. Well, he was probably a Perry man. So we'll give him a brain damage award. Uh, by the way, in August of 2007, payroll cuts in America were 4,000 jobs, net losses. Are we better off? I don't know that that question's going to work for the Republican Party. And we can talk more about the legacy of Ronald Reagan in some upcoming shows because, uh, as we noted, it's interesting that uh, John Kerry gave a substantive speech on foreign policy. Um, I don't know where, if Al Gore was there, but uh, Bill Clinton, of course, gave a prominent primetime speech. Where were the, where were where were the where was the Bush family in in the Republican Party? They were shown once in like about an eight second clip yeah. of the two of them sitting together, and uh, there was some smattering of applause from the crowd. But you'd think two former presidents. I mean, Jimmy Carter actually spoke in a sort of pre-recorded clip mm -hmm. played at the Democratic convention, and uh, had some very good things to say. Uh, our greatest ex-president, I've always said, mm -hmm. about Carter. Um, but yeah, conspicuous in their absence. Um, and you mentioned Reagan. There's a uh, I've mentioned last week this uh, very good issue of Harper's Magazine, uh, the September 2012, uh, two very interesting articles on Obama, but uh, an annotation uh, in the midsection here uh, with some interesting revelations about uh, Ronald Reagan's yeoman work for the FBI. Oh yeah, there's uh, a new book out on that, and that is uh, really revealing stuff. Yeah, Seth Rosenfeld. Uh, the book is Subversives: The FBI's War on Student Radicals and Reagan's Rise to Power. Uh, one, a memoranda from uh, May of 1959, in which uh, a woman named. Uh, Oh, where is her name here? Judith Braun. Uh, some casual comments she made at a cocktail party about how she didn't think a blacklist was a very American idea. Uh, well, Ronald Reagan dutifully passed that comment along as suspicious, un-American activity. And uh, indeed, the woman lost her job and had trouble getting work for a number of years. She didn't uh, realize until uh, this author contacted her uh, that, in fact, Reagan had been the one who'd sold her out well and it's interesting because he was interviewed uh this author uh, rosenfeld uh interviewed on fresh air a couple of weeks ago i kind of kept some of this info under under my hat for a, a couple of weeks uh for because of the convention but uh this this author has spent, has spent like 20 20 years trying to get the documents in this whole reagan history mm -hmm. as an fbi informant uh reagan apparently directly informed on 50 around 50 of his Hollywood friends. Uh, he was a stool pigeon for the FBI back in the late 40s uh, He played a starring role in the 1947 HUAC hearings mm -hmm. uh, That were friendly uh, witness that uh, Richard Nixon just ironically happened to be on the committee um, And it's troubling and th this author had to spend six hundred thousand dollars in legal fees to obtain documents uh, from the Department of Justice and other various agencies to confirm these facts. 
This, by the way, is uh, supposedly in, a, in, in the country that's uh, so open, so democratic. Uh, and, of course, this is freedom of information stuff that is a federal law. Uh, this obstructionism behind the scenes by both the FBI uh, covering up for their role with Ronald Reagan is fascinating stuff. Well, and the Bush administration took uh, actual tacit steps to make it even more difficult to access such documents. Indeed, because that was Bush's first executive order, uh, sealing the documents from the Reagan and his father's presidency. He justified the sealing of the Reagan documents on the grounds of pr privacy that his, uh, that his father had been vice president. So we're getting still with Ronald Reagan a sort of museum a characterization of the history of Ronald Reagan. We can talk more about his, you know, the facts regarding his uh, position on taxes uh, next week because I am very fond of this new Bruce Bartlett book demonstrating that Ronald Reagan agreed to about 11 tax increases throughout the 1980s, a fact that you just simply won't hear uh, from the nostalgic version of Ronald Reagan as portrayed by uh, Mr. Bean and Eddie Munster. Just for the record, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Uh, Andrew's been our engineer this evening, and Yazoo City Calling will be coming up. But among the other fascinating stories about that, that are in this new book, and I'm sure uh, eventually we'll definitely be reading this book, but it's Ronald Reagan's involvement in the firing of the president of uh, UCAL Berkeley yes. related to the free speech movement. That, of course, has some uh, particular relevance to the uh, situation here at the University of Michigan uh, because uh, this is the 50th anniversary of the Port Huron Statement. Uh -huh. Indeed, uh, Tom Hayden, I heard, was was in the area just a couple of weeks ago celebrating the precise 50th anniversary. Port Huron, of course, for people that aren't uh, from Michigan or don't know Michigan, is so uh, a coastal city out on the east side. It's about a 45-minute drive, 50 minutes Basically, Port Huron. it's the other bridge to Canada right. where uh, our uh, Mr. A friend and our billionaire friend in uh, in Detroit doesn't own that one. Marty, Ma Maddie Maroon is is, is is you know still buying legislators uh, here in Michigan to keep that from happening. Talk about a party that's not pro business. That's a palpable example of it. Um, oh well, the man in the Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> and of course I'm referring to the Reverend Andrew. Our engineer this evening is letting us know that we're out of time, so we will be back next week with more interesting revelations about Ronald Reagan, Mitt Romney, the economy, and all sorts of other good stuff. But watch out for those U.N. troops. <laughs> It's Charles Avery in the background doing the Dearborn Street Stomp, telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. This is Jerry Mack, your host, for an hour-long excursion into the land of Delta Blues and early urban blues, performed and lived by the men and women who started it all. This particular track, done in 1930, found on a collection on the Yazoo label called Shake Your Wicked Knees, 
Rent Parties and Good Times, Classic Piano Rags, Blues, and Stomps, recorded between 1928 and 1943. Charles Avery, uh, well-known around the Chicago area, Dearborn Street, right in the loop there on the south side, and uh, they're stomping and breaking it down. As Monday evening, uh, a fine, cool, but clear evening out there,